0: Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study.
1: Because this week uh, is the Parsha that is assigned to Sukkot. So generally we read the portion um, that is assigned to Sukkot. But I decided... Since we're Reconstructionists, uh, and since we generally don't study Torah on Simchas Torah, we never read Vezot We never read the last part of Deuteronomy, ever. We read it as part of our Simchas Torah celebration, but we don't study it in this forum. So sitting in our sukkah, I thought this Friday, because you know I'm kind of into, you know, what poor Moses, uh, this week... Um, I decided let's look at Vizota Racha, and we're going to look, we're going to actually read the death of Moses, which happens at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. And then I brought for you a collection of Midrashim around Moshe's death. Because I keep telling you there's all these Midrashim where Moses talks to God, right? I keep telling you and telling you, and then it's like, okay, but I never, we haven't taught it. Um, and so we're going to look at some of the Midrashim around Moshe's death. Uh, to expand our right depth of uh, knowledge of the tradition around uh, this part of the story. And you'll tell me afterwards whether I made it better or worse. Uh, Okay. So um, let's also say a bracha for sitting in the sukkah. One of the greatest mitzvot we can perform is to study Torah in the sukkah. Rita, thank you for urging us on to have our Torah study just like the Israelites did in the desert. If you're a little uncomfortable... That's okay. The point of living in the sukkah is to not be comfortable. That's the whole point of living in a sukkah for a week, is that we leave our temperature-controlled, well, not that the chapel is ever exactly temperature-controlled, um, but we leave our pseudo-temperature-controlled environments where we're sheltered and warm and, and cool if it's hot, and we come out into the elements, and we come out to remember that we're fragile and that you know we are as safe as we our illusion has us believe we are inside in concrete and glass. In fact, you know, we're fragile, which is what we're talking about um.
0: Rabbi, we skip the prayer for
1: Geshem? Yeah, let's skip the prayer for rain. Um, although the prayer for rain is the is prayer for rain in the land of Israel, so it really wouldn't matter all that much if they were answered. Uh, but, yes, let's let's say the bracha for sitting in the sukkah. basukkah <laughs> is the bracha. Baruch ata Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kidshanu v'tzivanu v'tivanu leishav basukah. Other than mikvah, sukkah is the only... Uh, mitzvah that we enter. So if you do mikvah, you you enter the water and it surrounds you. Sukkah is the only other mitzvah that we have that you enter it and it completely surrounds you. So um, just by being here, by uh, being in this beautiful place, we are fulfilling uh, a mitzvah. So let's look at. We're going to look at Deuteronomy. Let's look at the very beginning of the parsha so we get a sense of how it starts, and then we're going to. Skip. Sure. This
2: is the blessing which Moses, God's envoy. Chapter
1: 33 sorry. of the book of Deuteronomy. Chapter 33,
2: verse 1. 12, page 1273. 12, 12, 73. This is the blessing which Moses, God's envoy, bade the Israelites farewell before he died. He said, Yudhei Vavhei came from Sinai and shone upon them from Seir. God appeared from Mount Paran and approached them from Rehoboth, Kodeh, Rehoboth Kodesh, lightning flashing at them from the night, from the right. Lover indeed of the people, their hallowed are all in your hand. They followed in your steps, accepting your pronouncements. When Moses charged us with the teaching <coughs> as the heritage of the congregation of Jacob, then God became king in Yeshru. When the heads of the people assembled, the tribes of Israel together.
1: Okay. Thank you.
2: Tribes of Israel together. <clears throat> there you go. Who wrote this?
1: The Deuteronomist. Oh,
0: I mean, because it's, it sounds like it's a poem of sorts. It is.
1: It is a poem. It is.
0: And it was dealt with Moses and God in first so I was wondering who was the journalist.
1: Right. So, and lots of commentary has been written on the fact that if Moshe wrote it, how does Moshe write about Moshe's death? But that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, but, yeah, so this is the poem, Vezot Bracha. It's called a bracha here, right? It's called a blessing because we, uh, after the part that, that Bert just read, we would see that each of the tribes, right, gets a bracha, gets a blessing as part of this poem. And so that's why it's called Vizota Bracha, and this is the blessing. Isn't so, that what a father does
2: to his children? Didn't Jacob do that?
1: Yes. Yeah, so it's very much in keeping with deathbed scenes, Moshe's on his deathbed, essentially, and gives, g- gives this poem uh, that is a bracha for each one of his children, right? I know it's making it worse, isn't it, Paula? Um, that he's, he's blessing each one of the tribes, each one of his children uh, at the end of his life, which is um, also fairly typical of Moshe that this is what Moshe would do right at the end, is he's still thinking about the people. He's still concerned about the people and um, is still uh, caught up with wanting to give them something. Uh, look at verse 4. <clears throat> From here comes one of our favorite Hebrew school songs, yes? Verse 4, Torah, Tziva, Lanu Moshe. So it is actually directly from Torah. So whenever we sing with the kids, Torah, 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 torah La Nu Moshe, there it is. All right, right here from Vizot Habracha. So the kids are actually singing Torah at that point. What a beautiful thing. All right, let's go to the end of this Parsha. Let's go to... Let's go to chapter thirty-four,
2: verse one. Moses went up from the steps of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the summit of Pisgah opposite Jericho, and Yudhevavhe showed him the whole land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, the whole land of Judah, as far as the Western Sea, the Negev and the plain, the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. And Yudhe heh said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I will assign it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your own eyes, but you shall not cross there.
1: Okay, let's stop there. Here's a map uh, of Israel. And here is Mount Nebo.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. In Jordan. In Jordan. Mm-hmm. Right? So here's Mount Nebo. And here's the. I can't see the, the border. So here, here's the board, Here's the. This is the Jordan River here. Right. So here's the Jordan River. So it's from way across, the Jordan River that Moshe is seeing, Israel. So God shows Moshe. So presumably God points out, right, what everything is, uh, to Moshe. And it and says, you know, I'm, essentially I'm fulfilling my promise uh, that the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are going to inherit this land. All right, go on, Bert.
2: So Moses, the servant of yud heh died there in the land of Moab at the command of yud heh God buried him in the valley in the land of Moab near Beth-Peor, and no one knows his burial place to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died, his eyes were undimmed and his vigor unabated and the Israelites bewailed Moses in the steps of Moab for 30 days Go on The period of wailing and mourning for Moses came to an end Now Joshua son of Nun was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands upon him and the Israelites heeded him doing as Yothap had commanded Moses Never again did there arise in Israel a prophet like Moses whom Yudhevabhe singled out face to face for the various signs and portents that Yudhevabhe sent him to display in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his courtiers and his whole country, and for the great might and awesome power that Moses displayed before all Israel.
1: We say together, chazak, chazak, venit chazek. As we finish this book, we and we will start Genesis before we leave today uh, so that we are never, God forbid, between books of Torah. We never take a break. Uh, we are eager to start uh, the next book after finishing this one. Chazak, chazak, venit chazek. May we be strengthened and continue to be strong so that we can study Torah. So the question always comes, well, if Moshe wrote the Bible... <laughs> Right? If Moshe wrote the Torah, and God told Moshe, like, dictated, then... So imagine what the rabbis do with Moshe writing this part.
3: Somebody just added on this little bit yeah. at the end. Took, took the pen, took the chisel out
1: of Moses' hand. Yeah. So the problem with that is Moshe's on the mountain by himself. <laughs> and he's not else. nearly <laughs> mysterious and, and
2: mystical
4: enough. You know, strange things I'm practical. happen
1: I'm more practical <laughs> very practical uh, so the rabbis have many moving Midrashim about Moshe coming to this part and writing this part of the Torah, right, he weeps as he writes this part of Torah um, so we're going to look at, at Midrashim around, as I said uh, the death of Moshe can we test that out relate uh-huh.
2: to what Paula said I think God may have been lying to Moshe, okay, that <laughs> there we Moshe go. was old; Sorry. his leadership potential was waning, and to save, in effect, to save his face, God may have told him a compassionate lie.
1: So, so you think maybe God was lying when God said you're not going to see the promised land because you screwed up? That, that God that maybe, maybe is,
2: God didn't want to go through all of the negatives and all of the bad stuff that Moses did that just would have chopped down Moses and was kind of trying to be kind to Moses.
1: Okay, so now what you're arguing, Bert, is that Moses Moses was even more deserving of not seeing the promised land than Paula thinks, right? So that he had so many... Strikes against him, and God was trying to protect his dignity by only dealing with one. Right, that
2: it was time. It was time for him to move on.
1: Ah, so that that might be different, right? That God knows it's time for him to move on, but makes up a mistake that Moshe made. Well, it's a midrash. (laughs) Okay, that's Bert's midrash. midrash. Um, I don't know what that does for God exactly, right? Like, I don't know how that works. I think I'd rather be told your time is over, Amy, as as the yeah, leader yeah. rather than because of that sermon you gave. <laughs> right, on am Kipper, we're done with you. Like I, I you know I don't know. I'm trying. I, you I'm are trying. and we love that about Ebert. <laughs> yes, Rita. I don't
3: understand. It says um God singles about and he saw him
2: face to face. I thought he never saw him face to face. Face. That was the point.
1: Really. <laughs> right? So, anybody want to go with that Sensibly one? Sensibly
2: on Sinai. Right. And I'm not sure that that, uh, that to me seems like a metaphor for a very close relationship, necessary, necessarily that, that he physically saw a face. Well,
3: there were many times where that God. same, me- if you want to call it a metaphor, it says, You will never see my face. So that, right? like, that but, but there are songs
2: that say, God don't turn your face away from me, which is kind of a metaphor for ignoring me. Rabbi?
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> Laura.
4: I, I feel like this is the, um, just a metaphor for what every lifespan goes through, which is that you strive and you, and you hope and you envision, but you will never, none of us will ever get to see as much as we want to see. Mm-hmm. And it will always be for our children to finish. And for them, they won't get to see what they want to see. It'll be for their children to finish. And so, this is just the example. I need to talk a little bit longer. I feel like this is a metaphor for um, for all lifespans, which is that we'll never get to see the end of what we want to see. And it's for the next generation to take another step forward.
1: So. Um- So I think metaphorically, that's absolutely, absolutely the message. Um, I think Rita's concern, if I read her right, is, but it says in the text, panim el panim, face to face. I think the, so there is some argument in the literature about, is this just, are there variant traditions right that you know that this is using uh, an idiom that is is literal in which case it argues with one that says you can't see God face to face but um i think most most of us harmonize it by saying it, it is an idiomatic expression m- meaning moshe and god communicated in a way that was more direct than so face to face doesn't mean i see your face necessarily right so if god is in the cloud and god is in the smoke and god is you know whatever that I, Moshe and God may be face to face. It doesn't mean Moshe sees a face. Does that make sense? And and kind of like Bert was saying, like when we say the bracha, may God lift up God's face towards you. It doesn't mean I see God's face, but presumably it's there and lifted up towards me. Um, And so, feel
2: God's presence.
1: So that that Moshe had a more direct communication with God than any other prophet that we have. George, you've been waiting to say something. On this point, if you want. Not on this point. Is it on this point that you would like to speak, Paula? Um.
3: Yeah. I mean, I can see this also as a metaphor for resiliency.
1: For resiliency.
3: For personal resiliency and also community.
1: And how? Where do you see resiliency?
3: I, I see community resiliency in that even though a leader is gone, other other. Leaders the and the community
1: will, will go So the community is resilient here because with, even without Moshe, the community is going to go on.
3: And I, and I can see it then as a message of personal resiliency that even though I'm no longer here, but my children and grandchildren and so forth will be here and the work, the work and the wisdom that was important to me is going to live on through me, even though I won't be
1: physically here. So the personal resiliency is in the people who you leave behind, right? Who are your legacy, if you will. Um, Okay. So a a message of resiliency, George.
0: This, (laughs) my point is different in that this... God punished Moses for something he did. Reconstructionist says that the Lord does not reward or punish individuals for their acts. So this is, is this inconsistent with the
2: Reconstructionist interpretation?
1: So the, the question is... Um, because we're Reconstructionists and, and, and our, we don't believe in a theology that says God rewards and punishes individuals for things they do or don't do, is this inconsistent with Reconstructionist theology? So I would say it's not so much inconsistent as complementary. Like, it's, we don't take it literally. This is a story. So, because we don't, we're not fundamentalists, we don't have to take, we don't have to worry about, did God really punish Moses? Like we, we we just don't have to worry about that. What we get to do is take the story and say, what does it mean to us? Right. And we can reject it and say, it means that, that, that they believed in a God who was horrible, right. And, and punished for a small thing with a huge consequence. We can certainly say that, um, then we have to say, okay, so then do we chuck the whole story? If we don't like that part, Paul is tempted to, I'm sure. But like we but we hang with it because then we come to another part of the story that we actually resonate with, right? The part of, you know, that things go on even without us. And we're never going to live to see the promised land, any of us, really, right? And so, you know, we that's our job is to kind of turn it and turn it and turn it and figure out where's our relationship with it work and where do we go? Okay, that's a theology that... Doesn't work for us, right? But I think even in that, even in that theological part that that doesn't work for us as theology, and and I know it's uncomfortable, but but I do think there are lessons that the rabbis draw from that around the responsibility of leaders versus everybody else. That God holds Moshe to a different standard because Moshe is a leader, and I do believe there is something for us to talk about there. Like, I'm not saying it's fair or right, but I do think there is something valuable there to talk about in terms of, do do we hold leaders to a different standard? Should we? You know, right, when people are examples for our kids to follow... Do we expect things from them that we don't, ex- <laughs> that we would excuse, <laughs> clearly something funny happened? Leaders
4: held to a higher
1: standard. Leaders held not to a so higher well. standard, right. Something Imagine that president. leaders are held to a higher standard. Obviously would, would that be something we would value, right? Um, I, I know for me, it, it is something I value, and, and whether that's fair or not, I don't know, but I do long for the people who are leaders to demonstrate behavior That all of us can be proud of our country or our city or our whatever because of the person embodying it and representing it and how they behave and don't behave. And whether that's fair or not, I don't know, but I believe that's pretty human that we identify and and get a sense of um, associative pride, reflected pride when our leaders are, you know, are respectable and Anyway, so that's what I'm saying. Like, that Even in that scenario that we don't like or agree with the theology, I think there's still valuable stuff for us to, to explore and talk about.
0: From a practical standpoint, the plan is for them to cross the Jordan and to take over Kanawha. Um Moses is not cut out to be the leader at 120 years old to be able to do this joshua is Mm -hmm. if you look at management generally in corporations or whatever when somebody is replaced as a ceo from something else that person doesn't stay around uh
1: Unless you're emeritus.
0: Unless you're 20. You could be
3: prophet emeritus.
0: Or you could be chairman. <laughs> but the problem is that the leadership has to speak with one voice. Mm-hmm. It can't be such that you have two leaders. Mm-hmm. That's speaking as an emeritus. Um, so I know from what I speak. Uh, you gotta hold your own counsel a lot of times where you didn't when you were the boss.
1: And so maybe Moshe could have been emeritus.
0: Maybe yes, maybe no. But I, I think what what is that Moses is of such stature that it would not have worked for him to go in to Canaan with Joshua being the boss. And Moses, said, oh, you don't want to do that. And Jasper said, uh, "But I want to do that, and you know, you, you
1: mm-hmm. have
3: that.
0: and then you, you you have fractionation of, of leadership, right? So so, uh, so,
1: so it's you so you're fine with it. I, I but it's the natural it, course of what needs model, to happen, particularly since you have
0: a 120 year old, you know, leader being a war leader that you know that, that doesn't work so
1: well. So the, I just want to point out that uh, it does tell us that that he was not." diminished, right? His eyes were undimmed and his vigor unabated. So it is an interesting thing that Torah adds that to being 120, right? Because I think we do get a normal vision, okay, of what a 120 year old might be like. And it's very clear. And Rabbi Jonathan Sachs draws an important lesson when he looks at all the lessons from Moshe's life, which maybe we'll get to. Um, one of them is stay involved with something that you really care about because... Moshe was undiminished, right, undimmed, and no, his vigor had not abated at 120 because, right, he was still involved with leadership and still involved with something that he, he really, really cared about. Okay, we have three hands here, and I know, Sheldon, you've been waiting. Yes. Oh,
0: well, another, another reason why I'm not surprised that Moses doesn't enter the Promised Land, because you've told us many times this whole generation that was slaves— and Egypt would not get to the promised land. That's why they're wandering for 40 years. So they would all die off. And why should the leader be special? He goes to the promised land while that whole generation is not. He's part of that generation. He was a slave also. So,
1: well, he, he was never a slave. He was uh, raised in the, in the palace by Pharaoh's oh, daughter. Okay. He was raised as a prince of Egypt. Yeah. But in that sense, maybe God is more democratic and saying, you're of that generation, and that generation we know needed to pass, you've raised up the next generation, you, you, your job is, your time is done.
3: Yeah, it just, it
0: just, it just, he's part of that generation, you would expect him also to not...
1: To not make it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But there were two other special guys who did make it. Right, they Joshua made, and Caleb. <laughs> special. There could have been three. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel for, for Paula. You
1: feel for Paula?
3: So I'm <laughs> trying to think of some way to make Paula feel a little better about it. I oh, another way I think, the,
0: another you have way, to speak the, in the, the, the way The way I read you know, is, is actually God makes Moses' death as beautiful as he can.
1: <clears throat> so we're going to go to that. We're going to go to God making it as beautiful as possible. Mark?
4: I'm just going to say that... It's,
1: It keeps this whole, what keeps this whole dialogue at the level of human beings? Oh, Torah study. Torah Torah study? Torah. I mean Torah. Torah.
4: Meaning that even Moses,
0: the greatest of all prophets, is still human, we will die, we will all
3: die, in this
1: institution. And that is another lesson Rabbi Jonathan Sachs draws from this this whole business of Moshe is we are all human, no matter how great, no matter how important we think we are or we actually are and no matter how much change we affect no matter how much people look up to us and revere us, we are human whatever human we do that to is still human and is still going to die and in that sense we are all the same, leaders and followers and heroes and villains alike. George? And the, the people think that
0: Moshe is great
3: people know that God punished him with
1: this death? Ah, that's a very good question. George is asking, does do the people know that God punished Moses? Mm. It's a very good question.
3: Another way to look at it would be to see that should Moses stay powerful, uh, decision maker, etc., he would undercut the succeeding generation and they need a turn to grow into leadership too.
1: That so. if Moshe was still the boss, then another generation might not grow up to take responsibility for leadership, for the opportunity on the one hand, but the responsibility on the other, as long as Moshe's still carrying them and making all the decisions and they all listen to him, not that they always listen to him because they're Jews, um, Right then, they don't get the responsibility or to live into that responsibility, nor to have the opportunity to grow right differently. Do
2: you know how old Joshua was? My, I don't. My issue was is not with
1: with those right.
3: or Right. Inevitability.
1: Your of, your issues with the punishment. My, right. I get it. I totally get it. All right, let's look at 102, page 102 of what I handed out to you. What I've handed out to you, Eleanor is always so detailed. She always gives you the colored front (laughs) cover so that you know where it came from. Um, This is the Book of Legends, Sefer HaAgadah. These are the non-halachic portions of the Talmud. Put into a collection by none other than Chaim Nachman Bialik. And Yoshua Hana Ravnitsky. So they edited a book that that is about this thick of all of the non-halachic pieces of Talmud. The non-legal parts of the Talmud. A lot of the Talmud is legal arguments to get to a decision about Jewish law. These are the, all the parts that are legend. Agadah, as, as it's the called. Story, the, readable. the readable parts. The, the stories. The Agada. Okay, so let's look at the Agadic literature around the death of Moshe. Page 102, go down to that second paragraph. You can read all of this. I'm not withholding any of this from you, I promise. But just for our purposes, I just picked a few chunks that I thought were, were something we could dig into. So um, what did the Holy One do then? Who wants to read there? Second paragraph on
2: 102. He had it proclaimed that every gate of every firmament that Moses prayer were not accepted nor brought up to his presence because of decrees concerning him had been sealed: So
1: Moshe's praying that, to God that Moshe shouldn't die. And so God has every gate of heaven sealed <laughs> because. The decree had closed because the decree that God had given regarding Moses' death had been sealed. But, but you have to ask, you've got to love this stuff. If, if it had been sealed, the decree, why does God have to close the gates? What does that suggest? That Moshe's prayer might have gotten through them. Even though the decree had been given and sealed... God is afraid that Moshe's prayers will work. Many times many times in the past, Moses has argued with God and has won. Hmm. Many times in the past, and we're going to see, uh, make sure I get to that piece. Make, hold me accountable that I get to that piece, because it's a really important piece. It's a real beautiful piece of this. That's exactly right. So God knows Moshe has argued with God before and persuaded God. So God is making sure to cut off any way that Moshe's prayers could possibly get in to influence God. Have you ever given a decree to your child? (laughs) And then are like, okay, go away, right? Because if they stay around long enough and look at you with that look (laughs) long enough, right? You know that they have the ability to have you change the decree. All right, so next. Still,
2: as the sound of Moses' prayer to him above grew even stronger, The Holy One summoned the ministering angels and commanded them, go down in haste, bolt all the gates of every firmament. For Moses' prayer was like a sword, ripping and tearing, and nothing could stop it.
1: So imagine the strength of Moshe's prayers that he not die. Right? So that's one really poignant image is that's how strong Moshe's prayers are, how much he doesn't want to die. But also look at God. Like, right? It's really Impacting God. It's like God's afraid
2: of his God, own compassion.
1: God is very afraid of God's own compassion because Moshe's prayers, because we don't know if it's Moshe's prayers in general are that strong or are they that strong because God is is weakening, right? That Moshe's prayers are strong because it affects God, not because they're just strong. They're strong because they, God is like, right, it's strong to God, right? And, and that that's threatening. Linda? I
2: think the, I think maybe Moses is unwilling to let somebody else take over. Uh-huh. I mean that's
1: what well so it like so that. we we don't know Moshe's motivation. What we know is he doesn't want to die. Right. We can then imagine we can write our own Midrashim about okay, is it because he doesn't want to turn over the reins? Who have
2: been in, uh, leadership places, sometimes they don't want to give up once their time is up. Some
1: people don't want to give up their power once it's time.
3: I think I think he just wants Susan
1: thinks, no, it's not power. He wants to make it to the promised land, and then he would be okay with dying. Okay. I agree. All right, Linda agrees. Okay, we got an agreement there. Okay. Bert?
2: In that instant, Moses said to the Holy One, Master of the universe, known and revealed to you is the trouble and pain I suffered on account of Israel until they came to believe in your name. How much pain I suffered because of them, until I inculcated among them the Torah and its precepts. Precepts. I said to myself, as I witnessed their woe, so will I be allowed to witness their will. Yet now that Israel's will has come, you tell me you shall not go over this Jordan. Thus your Torah, which asserts, in the same day thou shalt give him his
1: hire." You manifestly turn into fraud. Okay, what just happened? Snap. Snap. What just happened? He's quoting God's word to God.
2: <laughs>
1: Moshe's saying, everything I've suffered with this people. You know how I've suffered for this people. So I figured, well, I've suffered for them, and now when they're coming into the good stuff... I'll get to see the good stuff, right? But then in Deuteronomy 3.27, God, you say you shall not cross over that Jordan. Well, then what you're doing, God, is violating your Torah. Because in 24.15, it says, In the same day shall you give a laborer their hire. Meaning, I've put all this work out. Now you're supposed to give me my pay, right? Right? Now, not right, right? Like, so you're you're violent. you've turned your own Torah into fraud. Okay,
2: this echoes Abraham, who was kind of saying you're a just God, so don't destroy. Sodom.
1: And this echoes Moshe. What will the Egyptians say about right. you if you destroy this people? Right, like, this is Moshe's pretty good at singing. Okay, and so you manifestly it back. You manifest- the
3: first union organizer. The first union organizer. There you go. Hey, the first
1: lawyer. The first lawyer.
2: You manifestly turn into fraud. Is such the reward for forty years of labor that I labored until Israel became a holy people, loyal to their faith? The Holy One replied. Nevertheless, such is the decree that has gone forth from my presence. Then Moses said. Master of the universe, if I'm not to enter the land alive, let me enter dead, as the bones of Joseph are about to enter. The Holy One replied, Moses, Joseph came to Egypt. When Joseph came to Egypt, he did not deny his identity. He declared openly, I am a Hebrew. But when you came to Midian, you denied yours.
1: <laughs>
2: oh. <laughs>
1: So, so if you look at your footnotes, it says, because Joseph says, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews, so he confesses that he's a Hebrew, uh, but Jethro's daughters, when they go to say, oh, this beautiful man helped us with our sheep, they say he's an Egyptian. So God is saying to Moshe, you allowed yourself to be understood to be an Egyptian. Joseph at least announced himself as a Hebrew, so his bones are going in, yours are not. Okay.
2: Then Moses said, Master of the universe, if you will not let me enter the land of Israel, allow allow me to remain alive like the beasts of the field who eat grass, drink water, and thus savor the world. Let me be like one of them. At that, God replied, enough. Speak no more to me of this matter. So again,
1: we're quoting Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 26, when God says, enough, enough. We're done with this conversation. (laughs) This is quite an argument. I know, right? But Moses
2: spoke up again. (laughs) Master of the universe, if not like a beast of the field, then let it become like a bird that flies daily in every direction to gather its food, and in the evening returns to its nest. Let me be like one of these. The Holy One replied again, enough.
1: Die. Okay. Okay. Die meaning enough, but I guess but I guess it's got double entendre there. Um, so if I can't go in alive, let me go, let my bones go in. If my bones can't go in as human bones, let me be an animal and just enter the promised land lake as a sheep or something, grazing. No. if I, Okay, if I can't do that, let me be a bird who flies in and then I'll come back every night. I won't live in the promised land. I'll just hang out there during the day and come back to my nest on the side of the Jordan at night. And God says enough, enough. So we get the desperation of Moshe to enter the promised land. We get God, you know, holding the line and this goes on and on and on. Moshe goes to the angels, right? So the the rabbinic imagination is incredible. So I wanted you also to get a taste of how the rabbis understand the relationship between God and Moshe by this conversation, but also You get a different image of God from this rabbinic literature than we get, right, from Deuteronomy. Already, God is a very different character by the time that the rabbis are writing, right? Okay. So let's go to the next column on that same page, the paragraph that begins, Then Moses went to the angel of the presence.
2: Then Moses went to the angel of the presence and implored, Entreat mercy in my behalf that I not die. The angel replied, Moses, my master, of what avail is this effort? For I have heard from behind the curtain above that your prayer in this matter will not be heard. Moses put his hands on his head and lamented and wept as he said, To whom am I to go now to entreat mercy in my behalf? In that instant, the Holy One was filled with anger at Moses so that Moses was constrained to remind God That he had described himself as the Lord, the Lord God, who is merciful and compassionate, whereupon the Holy Spirit was assuaged. He said, Adonai, Adonai, Adonai,
1: El-Rachum, V'chanun, right? So God got so angry that Moshe had to whip (laughs) out, like, a reminder, wait, 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 you're Adonai, 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 El-Rachum, V'chanun, right? You're a merciful and gracious, compassionate God, right? And the Holy Spirit was assuaged, (laughs) right?
2: Okay. Then the Holy One said to Moses. I quoted
1: you this midrash last time or two times ago. Aviva Zornberg has a beautiful piece on it, so I thought we would read it.
2: Then the Holy One said to Moses, Moses, I have sworn two oaths. One concerning Israel after they did that deed.
1: You know that deed, right? That I mean, thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, so bad, we Listen. can't even say after that thing.
2: <laughs> that I would destroy them from the world, and the other that you are to die and not enter the land. The oath I had sworn concerning Israel, I set aside at your plea when you entreated me, pardon, I pray thee. And now you entreat once again that I set aside my oath to comply with your plea, let me go over, I pray thee. You seize the well's rope at both ends, do you not? If you wish to have let me go over, I pray thee, fulfilled, you must nullify, pardon, I pray thee. Or, if you wish to have pardon, I pray thee fulfilled, then nullify, let me go over, I pray thee. When Moses, our teacher, heard this, he said, Master of the universe, let Moses and a thousand like him perish, but let not a single fingernail of one person in Israel be hurt.
1: Do you understand what just happened? So God says there's two decrees that have gone out. One is that I'm going to destroy them for that thing. You said... Pardon them, right? And I said "Salachti Kidvarecha. I have pardoned according to your words, meaning according to your plea. Now you're saying annul the decree that I can't go over. Well you have the well rope at both ends. You can't work a well rope that way. If one side goes down, the other goes up, right? You can't you can't hold both sides. Which is it going to be? Do you want me to annul the destroy them decree? Or do you want me to annul the you can't go over decree? It's up to you. I'll let you decide. And Moshe says, because it's Moshe, we have to love Moshe. He says, let a thousand like me perish before the fingernail of one of them is hurt. Meaning he's accepting Mm -hmm. the decree as long as God promises not to hurt the people.
3: Why does it have to be one or the other?
1: That's you can't what? have it both well, ways. That's,
3: because you, that's
4: wow. because you created this image of God. Yeah, Europe, that's the metaphor like, God, we, we God uses. God's given so, him so, one
1: metaphor. shot, so you can't have, but you can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot you, have your well you, rope and eat it too. This is how this is how it is. You can't have the cake, have the cake, have the cake and eat it, cake and eat it too. It, it seems to be an existential statement by God. We get no defense of it. We get God is saying there's two decrees. Pick one. Pick one. They can't both be annulled. You choose. I will give it to you to choose.
4: It is arbitrary,
1: though. <laughs> <laughs> He's not arguing. He's, yeah. negotiating. I, He's negotiating. It's, it's arbitrary that you can only have so one. So right. Robert is arguing. We use it even today. You can't hold the well rope at both ends. You can't have your cake and eat it. We, we kind of get it that in life there are choices I mean I hear I hear everyone who's saying but God made it so I totally understand that the rabbis seem to accept in their story that that's how it is you can't for whatever reason you can't have both pick and Moshe this is more about Moshe picking I think than it is about yeah. right God's decreeing that you can't have them both but the story is that Moshe says okay better than a thousand like me should perish than one of them should be hurt Okay.
2: Nevertheless, Moses said yeah, to God. so nevertheless, nevertheless, Moses
1: says to God.
2: Nevertheless, Moses said to God, Master of the universe, shall the feet that went up to the firmament, the face that confronted the presence, the hands that received the Torah from your hand, shall these now lick the dust? The Holy One replied, such was my thought from the very beginning, and such must be the way of the world. Each generation is to have its own interpreters of Scripture. Each generation is to have its own providers. Each generation is to have its own leaders. Until now, it had been your portion to serve me, but now your disciple Joshua's portion to serve has
1: come. So exactly what all of the wisdom around this table has said so beautifully in so many different ways, the time has come. Your lot is finished. and. It is now somebody else's turn to serve me the way you have served me and to lead the people. It's now, it's just the way of things, right? God doesn't even answer the point. What about these hands that received, meaning I'm so special. You're going to let this specialness not be like, go away, lick the dust Right? God doesn't even address that. God just addresses Reality. And, and that is that every generation from the beginning, such was my thought from the beginning. When I planned the world, here's how it's planned. Here's how it works. Nothing can abrogate that. Nothing. So, um, all right, drop down to the bottom, the very bottom of that page. The very last paragraph, after Moses. After Moses
2: became reconciled to his dying... The Holy One spoke up saying, who will rise up for me in behalf of evildoers? Who will rise up in Israel's behalf at at the time of my anger? Who will stand up for them during my children's warfare with enemies? Who will entreat mercy in their behalf when
1: they sin before me? All right, Susan, this is exactly your concern. But look, it's God's concern. How beautiful is that? This is a very poignant scene. So... Finally, Moshe, okay, it took another whole page, right, for Moshe to be reconciled. Finally, Moshe's reconciled to dying, and God, so now God says, well, who's going to rise up, right, for me in behalf of evildoers? Not against me. Who's going to rise up for me on behalf of evildoers? What does that mean? What does that mean? God seems to suggest that God wants someone to argue with God on behalf of evildoers who do not deserve God's mercy. God wants that. God's worried now. Who will rise up in Israel's behalf at the time of my anger? Who will stand up for them? Hmm? Sometimes they are. Sometimes, Sometimes they, they are. Here, Israel Israel. Well, it's, it's different categories. Evildoers who deserve to be destroyed. Yeah. Who's going to argue on their behalf?
0: Michael Avenatti. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, right? <laughs> and <laughs> who's going to who's going to rise up on Israel's behalf when they tick me off? Right. Who's going to stand up for them when they're at war? Right? Moshe, remember? Moshe's arms were raised, and whenever his arms lowered, they lost the battle. His arms were raised, and they won the battle. God's like, who? Who's going to do that now when my children go to war?
2: God's being sad. God, that Moses God's very, very sad. God mourning Moses. Who will
1: entreat mercy in their behalf when they sin before me? It Who, now the an who's going to gonna intervene and say, I know you're mad, Mom. <laughs> like, right. you have every right to be mad, but she she didn't know what she was doing, right? Forgive him. It was an accident, right? He won't do it again. Like, Who's going to intervene as the loving counterpart when however justified God's rage is and desire to act out of that rage, however justified that is, God wants someone to 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 intervene on behalf of the people.
3: But that's not Joshua. It's
1: not Joshua. That's the point. God knows that's not Joshua. Yeah. That's what I think is happening here. I think God knows. Lokamba Yisrael, kamosha, oh, never again did a prophet arise in, in Israel like Moses. Nobody will be, God is afraid, I think, in this part, that nobody is going to be able to stop God from doing what God's going to do when God is angry. Because Moshe will be gone. Right? I mean, that's an incredibly poignant scene for me, God talking to God's self.
2: Amy
0: it's important though because clearly God sees Joshua as a different
1: figure.
3: Absolutely.
0: And a void's been created here. Yes. That God Himself created. I mean
1: Because God it's interesting, God created it, yeah. But I also think God is held to God's own world. God said the way the world works is that every, everybody dies and every generation has their leader. And I, and in this scene, what I see is God having to live with that. God having to co- confront God's own grief and fear at the void it creates for God that God has to follow the rules of God's universe. Like God couldn't make an, ex- God could make an exception, I guess, and have Moshe live forever. But clearly God believes that's, not right. God has to live within the world and the reality that God's created. And that means God is bereft, not only of Moshe, but of, of somebody who can keep God from God's worst self, right? Don't you feel that way about people in your life who love you, who are effective in your life? It's because they keep you from being your worst self because we listen to them, Even when we're angry, well, sometimes. (laughs) Even when we're angry, even when we're like when we're about to say something we don't want, like you know, they look at you like, "Don't do it, don't do it, don't," you know. And they have the capacity to keep us from our worst expression, right? Which, which in this case, seems to be anger, right? And punishment, because it's God we're talking about, right? What's the worst God can do? Right? Come out of anger because it, it's a, it's terrible for human beings what happens when when God does that. And God is sad that there's not gonna be anyone to keep God from that part of God's self. In this sense God is very human.
3: God is
1: human. God created us in God's image and we return the favor. <laughs> like we return we, we create God in our image. <laughs>
0: man but he is he has these attributes as well so
1: this is v- Not perfect. So this is very mm-hmm. much rabbinic,
3: mm-hmm.
1: so it's another reason I wanted to share this with you is this is very rabbinic, the Kadosh Baruch Hu weeping right the Kadosh Baruch Hu in agony. The Holy One, blessed be God, suffering, right? This is very rabbinic. And we tend to think rabbis as, you know, halacha and Jewish law and this and this and this and this. This is very much typical of rabbinic midrash and rabbinic writing is God is very humanized in a lot, a lot of these texts. I'm,
3: I'm
1: sorry. Paula? I think
3: this is uh, coming down to the world, human human experience of what happens at an at end of life in the family dynamics
1: so the family and dynamic and here of Moshe's death going
3: to, <laughs> and going back to what I said at the beginning about unfinished business the part of finishing the business at an end of life in the family dynamics is to uh For the family to allow the the person who's on as of her deathbed to to go, to die, and to reassure each other that... um,
2: Life goes on.
3: Not not only that life Mm -hmm. goes on, but life goes on because of what because of how you were there for us and that we have
1: incorporated that.
3: Incorporated your teachings and, and your life into us and that you can go. We'll be okay. so
1: Paul is talking about end of life family dynamics that there's first of all the need to let the person die to let them go but also to assure each other and the person maybe um, that, um, that who they are and the role they've played has now been incorporated because of who they were and how they modeled that it's been incorporated into the survivors and that they can now take on that role uh, what I see is God does not think that's going to happen there's no one to say that to God <laughs> There's no one to comfort God here. But, but no one.
3: But that's a lesson that he can take both Absolutely,
1: that we, sh- we shouldn't let this happen. <laughs> no, David? Does
3: this, does
0: this raise the the issue of the Jewish belief in a Messiah that we're looking... No. ...for someone to intercede with God?
1: That is not the role of Messiah. What the that is not the, the understanding it's in the, Jewish it's tradition it's of Messiah.
0: Once, in other words, the view Moses is gone. God is saying, there's no one to intercede. I want someone to intercede. <laughs> Do we... We
2: never create an intercession. No.
1: Christianity does. Right. God is left right. alone.
2: God's left alone. God's
1: left yeah. alone. Yeah. To sit with this now forever. Yeah. So God's going to have to deal with God's anger... Forever now, so of course, now I want you to hold this image in your head every time we stand in front of the Ark at the High Holy Days and sing Adonai, Adonai, El Rachum Bechanun Who becomes the intercessors? We do. We are. We are now trying to talk to God to move God off Kiseh Hadin, the judgment seat, onto the throne of Rachamim of compassion. That we become the ones to intercede, right, on behalf of us and our children. Right? Forgive us. This is why I don't like okay, don't repeat it outside of here. <laughs> he I know, I'm turning off the mic. I don't I don't like the way KI does Avinu Molcano. I hate it. Those last two lines it's horrible. Avinu makenu forgive us and banu masim we have no reason to ask you we have no deeds that excuse what we've done we don't have any deeds that would lead to your forgiveness but we believe that you are nosa avon vafesha that you lift sin forgive us even though we are unworthy That is what we do at the high holidays for us, for our young ones, for all the people Israel, forgive us, write us in the book of life, even though we don't deserve it. We have no business coming before you. We know we have messed up that I want to, I want us to hold that next time we're standing at the open Ark, and, and really get it that this, this was what Moshe spent his life doing. Holy one. They don't deserve it. I know but you are a God of compassion and mercy, forgive them, right? Then, of course, I don't so much project it out that way, right, as a liberal theologian, but I do pray those words in earnest every year. Like, it brings me, used to bring me to tears, now, Ding, 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 ding. It's like <laughs> da, 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 da. I, So, but in Duluth, I cried every year when we sang that. We sang it a cappella. We sang it in harmony, and we cried B- because the power of wanting to be forgiven is still there. Of wanting to do it differently. Of wanting to change. And and as Reconstructionists, I know we have a different relationship to prayer than, than what we see here in classical literature. But I think the pathos is still there right the the absolute longing to be heard to be forgiven to have the universe respond with love and support and tenderness to our worst edges Um, I think that's it's so poignant that the, the rabbis have this gift for for really lifting that up and to have God feel right some of this is just it's a really I think it's a really important transference that the rabbis I mean I know they're human I get it like they're personifying God I get it but I think it's really... I don't know. I love the rabbis. It This literature really, I find...
2: Mic, so. Turn your mic back on. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I left it on because I realized that um, most of the people in the world don't really care what I think about how we do a people. <laughs> 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 I, there's one person who's going to hear, and I'm going to hear about it. All right. So, so 103, <laughs> um, come down to the paragraph that begins, so it is with me. So God is going to Metatron, one of the angels. Oh, yeah. You're going to have to do some studying to know who these folks are.
2: So it is with me, the Holy One said to Metatron, I weep not only for Moses, I weep for him and for Israel as well. Many times they provoked me and I was angry at them. It was he who stood in the breach before me to turn
1: back my anger. Right. So God, again, saying, right, it's not just him I weep for, it's what he did, how it affected me, God, right? And because he was able to turn back my anger. All right, so let's we
2: skip go. We skipped that wonderful story about the wife and the
1: child. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go to 104, <laughs> but, I mean, because it's, it's similar. I thought, yeah, okay. let's stay with the literature rather than um, a metaphor <laughs> that they go into. But, yes, it's a beautiful story. 104, go down to the paragraph, but a divine voice came forth and said.
2: But a divine voice came forth and said. The time has come for you to depart from the world. So, meaning
1: all this has been like, okay, another angel and Samael and Gabriel and blah, 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 blah. And finally, God's like, okay, enough. We're, we're, enough. Mo- <laughs> the bot We see this character a lot in rabbinic literature. A bot a heavenly voice. Um, it's never defined, but it is understood to be revelatory. Whatever it says is what God is saying. Um, But it's an interesting metaphor. And and in Hebrew, bat means daughter. 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 So it's really daughter of the voice.
2: But a divine voice came forth and said, The time has come for you to depart from the world. Moses pleaded with the Holy One, Master of the universe, for my sake, remember the day when you revealed yourself to me at the bush? For my sake, remember the time when I stood on Mount Sinai? Forty days and forty nights, I beg you, Do not hand me over to the angel of death. Again, a divine voice came forth and said, Fear not, I myself will attend you and your burial. Moses pleaded, Then wait until I bless Israel. On account of the warnings and reprimands I heaped upon them, they never found any ease with me. Then he began to bless each tribe separately. But when he saw that the time was running short, he included all the tribes in a single blessing.
1: So that was Vizotabrachah, right? All that stuff I was saying, Moshe's at the end of his life. He's, his last gift is to bless the people. But the rabbis elaborate on that. God says, Moshe argues one last time. The feet that stood at the bush, really? <laughs> and, and, and God says, and Abbot Cole says, it's time. Like, and, and so what does Moshe do? Moshe says, I was so busy exhorting them all the time and reprimanding them and yelling at them all the time that they never had any peace with me, right? You're going to a deathbed scene, aren't you, Paula? So, right, I was always yelling at them and criticizing them and telling them the ways they weren't enough and that they weren't measuring up. Now that I'm dying, let my last thing be to bless them. Let me tell them that they're just fine and wonderful and lovely just the way they are. Let my last interactions with them to tell them how proud I am of them and to see what's beautiful in them Um, and so Moshe gives the Zotabracha, gives all these blessings and so the rabbis are explaining why we have all these blessings at the end right, as the last Parsha, which is a beautiful interpretation I think um, that Moshe knows he's been cranky with the people and wants to leave them in a different tenor and tone than he's lived with them which sometimes happens at the end, sometimes it does happen
3: he has forgiveness here. Yeah,
1: he wants to be remembered, really, as <clears throat> one who's always... So Linda says it's because Moshe wants to be remembered by the people differently than how he lived. It
3: can be
2: both.
1: It could be both. Um, okay, go ahead.
2: Then he said to Israel, because of the Torah and its precepts, I troubled you greatly. Now, please forgive me.
1: So I was holding you to the standard of Torah that were given to me, right? No idols. And then you did that thing. Like I had no choice, right? You know, but forgive me for all of the ways I was hard with you because I was going by the standards I was given.
2: They replied, our master, our Lord, you are forgiven. In their turn, they said to him, Moses, our teacher, we troubled you even more. We made your burden so heavy. Please forgive us. Moses replied, you are forgiven.
1: (laughs) Like, like, how beautiful is that? What a great scene. What a great scene. They get it. They finally get it. And guess what? It's too late. Right On some level, it's beautiful and it's like it's so poignant because it's too late. Like they finally realize the trouble they've been, and they ask forgiveness, and Moshe gets what a, you know, grr, he's been, and finally asks for and, and then they'll 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 what do you call it? Um, Recon- reconcile, and he's gonna die. I know. <laughs> I know. But it's just, I don't know, it just just doesn't seem
2: fair. Okay. Uh, Again, a divine voice came forth. The moment has come for you to depart from this world. Moses replied, blessed be his name. May he live and endure forever and ever. Then he said to Israel, I implore you when you enter the land, remember me and my bones and say... Alas for the son of Amram, who had run before us like a horse, yet his bones fell in the wilderness. Again a divine voice came forth and said, Within half a moment you are to depart from the world. Moses lifted both his arms, placed them over his heart, and called out to Israel, Behold the end of flesh and blood. Moses arose and washed his hands and feet, and thus became as pure as a seraphim then from the highest heaven of heavens the holy one came down to take the soul of Moses and with him three ministering angels Michael, Gabriel and
1: Zagzagel God was not going alone on this mission God took three angels
2: Michael (laughs) laid out his beer Gabriel spread a fine linen cloth at his head while Zagzagel spread it at his feet Michael stood at one side and Gabriel at the other Then the Holy One said to Moses, Moses, close your eyes, and he closed his eyes. Put your arm over your breast, and he put his arms over his breast. Bring your legs together, and he brought his legs together. Then the Holy One summoned Moses' soul, saying, my daughter, I had fixed the time of your sojourn in the body of Moses at 120 years. Now your time has come to depart depart delay not she replied master of the universe i know that you are god of all spirits and lord of all souls you created me and placed me in the body of moses 120 years ago is there in the body is there a body in the world more pure than the body of moses i love him and i do not wish to <laughs> depart from him the holy one exclaimed depart And I will take you up to the highest heaven of heavens and will set you upon the throne of glory next to the cherubim and the seraphim. In that instant, the Holy One kissed Moses and took his soul with that kiss. At that, the Holy Spirit wept and said, There hath not arisen a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses. The heavens wept and said, The godly man is perished out of the earth. The earth wept and said, The upright among men is no more. The ministering angels wept and said, He executed the righteousness of the Lord. Israel wept and said, And his ordinances are with Israel. These as well as those said together, Let him enter in peace and rest on his couch."
1: But I feel so bad for Moses this year. Um, right, so we, this is to the point where I said about God making it as beautiful as God could. God keeps assuring Moses, and interestingly enough, Moshe's soul, the daughter, that, right, because nishama, nishama is female, is feminine. The soul is always feminine, right? Elohai natata Bitehora, he. Pure is. She, right? In Hebrew, he is she, she is... Um, Huh? God's daughter. The soul is God's daughter. And so God says, my daughter, come, and I'm going to... Right? I'm going to take you to the highest heavens and put you under the throne of glory. Like, right below the seraphim and cherubim. Like, it's going to be okay. You're coming with me. Which really points also to I think for me as a you know as a non-literal person in terms of the the hereafter that's way more comforting to know right your soul's going to be with God and you're going to go to heaven and everything like that is a very comforting beautiful image we end this with God assuring the soul that she's going to be with him so in, in essence Moses Moses' body and personality, yes, is gone, and, and there's weeping for that. We're not a tradition that celebrates one over the other. There's we, real weeping for that. The universe weeps for that. And there's this image that a part of Moshe right, goes, the part that is of God, returns to God. And and metaphorically, I really believe that's true. We, we return to what we emerged out of. And I think for people who have a much more literal understanding like this, it's a lot more comforting. At the, I feel like they have a lot more comfort than I do. At the end, I got into an argument with a very prominent rabbi that I was invited to dinner with by a congregant. And we had a very—I was getting really uncomfortable and, a, and upset because he is teaching right now a lot about the afterlife— And he said, I think every rabbi has a responsibility to teach about the afterlife because it is a comfort to people and they need that. And I said, I can totally respect that for a rabbi who believes in the afterlife. What about those of us who don't believe in the afterlife? You expect me to teach something that I actually don't believe? I can't believe a rabbi would encourage me to teach something that I don't believe. And he said, it's not about what you believe. That's not important. What's important is that people have comfort at the end. And you as a rabbi are one of the only people who can give them that. And it is your responsibility to do that.
4: You don't have to believe it doing? to teach that it is written in here.
1: No, no, no. He so was saying I should be teaching it. That, that, that this fact? is what happens. Yes.
4: Well, I think that you could have a responsibility, he You're could right. argue, to show people that there's writings about it. And yeah. if you find comfort in that, that's fine. But it's not important. To I don't have to believe what you have to believe.
1: Right. But so I, what I'm saying is yeah. he was suggesting it's irresponsible of me to tell people I don't believe that it's irresponsible to do anything other than teach them about the afterlife, that there is one that they'll be sitting next to God, blah, 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 because that's comfort that they deserve. And if I withhold that from them. Right. And I said, but, but if I don't. Well, anyway, so my point being like there because the, the comfort at the end piece is really it's really different, right, for not everybody. Like, I, I've seen many people who don't have a literal interpretation of the afterlife or the soul or whatever have a completely peaceful death knowing it's time to let like, go oh, and, and they trust whatever's coming. Like, I hope that will be me as well. But I think there is a particular comfort that comes at the end that, right, that some folks have that I am a little envious of, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yes?
0: There's a, a very scholarly book. Thank you. Called The Death of Death. Um,
3: Death of, the
0: death, death of death. Of death. Uh, and it traces uh, Judaic beliefs about the afterlife from early on to, to current. What's interesting is to me with regard to this is that um, uh, the author, who's a well respected uh, rabbinic scholar, um, basically traces the soul as a separate entity that may go on to much later than when the rabbinic uh, writings here are done.
1: Well, they're wrong then. Uh, that's exactly <laughs> like, right. I mean, I, sorry. What,
0: what I'm saying, I found this very... Uh-huh. Uh He basically comes down on the side of... Uh, um, Basically, resurrection, reincarnation, which is also an ancient Jude, Judea belief. Yeah. But, but the interesting thing is that, that I'm finding that there is this belief about the soul going on. Oh, yeah. That is, um, very much predates what he was quoting.
1: Yep. It's, it's right there. I
4: find it interesting that Moses didn't have the comfort that
1: you <laughs> Right.
4: Moses was kicking and screaming.
1: All the way. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. I'm going to close with the words of Rabbi Yael Shai, and then we're going to begin Genesis. Rabbi Yael Shai is talking about life and death and the death of Moshe. She says, And Judaism and its infinite wisdom reminds us of the cycle of death and life in the Torah itself. We read this partial of Moses' death often at the same moment, Simchat Torah, as we restart the cycle over again. Moses' exhale becomes Adam's inhale. Think about that for five seconds. We can and should grieve the loss of Moses and all who have died and will die. We can fear our own deaths, but we have a reminder every year that underneath all the drama and grasping in life, we can let go and find God again. We can come panim el panim, face to face, with life, with breath, and with the one. So may it be... Let us begin. Bereishit bara Elohim et Veta ve'et Ve ve'haretz ha'ita tovu vavohu bechoshet al pneteihem ve'ruach Adonai mirachefet al pnei ha'mayim va'yomer Elohim yehi or va'yhi or. We come to the in the beginningness when we are dark. And we have water, and we have the Spirit of God hovering over all of it. And uh, there comes this moment, we don't get a why, all we get is that God decides, right, that there shall be light. And God Divides between the now there exists light and what was already there, which is interesting, darkness and God calls the light day and to the dark God called it night there was evening and there was morning yom. One day. And uh, there is evening, there is morning. From this we get the day begins in the, eve- in the evening. That when one day is over, when we have the evening, from evening through morning till evening, Yom Echad is one day. This is when we read on the High Holidays at Westwood, one day, one perfect day. That's, I, believe, I believe that's where Rabbi Sheila Peltz Weinberg gets it. It doesn't say Yom Rishon. It doesn't say the first day. It says Yom Echad, One day. Because really, what we're given is one day. This day. That is all we have, is this day. We have no idea, right, about anything past that. One day. Rita? I think
3: it's interesting that we just talked about the soul being feminine, and now the earth is
1: feminine, too. So, so Right, so watching where nouns are feminine, where they're masculine, right, is a way to move through... Um, the text a little differently. May we come to this beginning, this ending, and let us hold that as we move into the beginning that we should carry, I think, a little bit of that, uh, what we've learned from that into the new beginning, because then we begin differently, and uh, may our beginning uh, be one that's uh, brings us into a cycle of Torah uh, of health and of strength and of insight and of sharing and of courage and of openness uh, that we might be changed and live into our responsibility as we've talked about um, and our opportunity uh, in this generation. Shabbat Shalom and Chag Sameach. It's coming.
0: You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehilat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.